The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. There's a strong link between sports and medicine. If you're not at the top of your medical game, you can't play well, or you just can't play. Welcome to Bruce the Sports Doc with medical expert Dr. Bruce Grossinger. This program looks at advances and breakthroughs in medicine and how it relates to sports. Plus, you'll receive preventative tips and analysis of sports injuries this week. Now, here's Bruce the Sports Doc. Welcome to the newest edition of Bruce the Sports Doc. This is the Super Bowl edition, and we're here with co-host Spetcher the Wizard, and we're going to lead off by talking about the Super Bowl and analyzing it. And the second half of our show will deal with some exciting sports medicine topics. Firstly, let me introduce Spetzer, and let's get into it right away. What are your impressions of the Super Bowl? Well, how you doing, guys? Um, I thought that before the blackout that we had at the Super Bowl, um, it was looking like a Ravens route. And it was kind of looking like the rest of the game would just be a Ravens victory. And you could pretty much like, I was thinking you could skip ahead to the end of the game just to see the theatrics and just to see Joe Flacco, um, Ed Reed, Ray Rice, and Ray Lewis go up there um, with the winning coach, John Harbaugh. Um, I thought that the game overall had a lot of twists and turns. And the blackout, for the Ravens, I think that they're an older team, so I think that the 49ers got a got a, a chance to regroup, and you got to give a lot of credit to um, to Kaepernick and Jim Harbaugh for really coming back after that break and just never saying die attitude with the Niners, and uh, very impressive quick score offense. Uh, their defense also played really well there, and it was amazing how they flipped the game. Well, I agree. It was certainly a tale of uh, two halves. That is, the half before the blackout and the half after, even though they didn't exactly add up. I thought it was a really exciting game. Your prediction held up. You predicted Ravens, and they eked it out with a goal line stand. And certainly one of the most exciting Super Bowls. A lot of big hits, a well-played game, not a lot of penalties, little controversy at the end of the game. With respect to that uh, at fourth and two play, actually I think it was fourth and goal, where uh, two yards. basically uh, Kaepernick went back. It was an all-out blitz, zero coverage for the Ravens, and uh, Kaepernick threw it up. You know, he audibled at the line. Mm-hmm. Actually, if you watched it carefully in replay, he tapped his uh, the right side of his helmet, yeah. which means an audible to Crabtree, and. Uh, there was some thought, certainly Jim Harbaugh thought that that was uh, a holding play. What are your thoughts about that? I saw the play, and Crabtree, I think, was trying to initiate contact. He saw that the ball was being thrown away from him. And so 
he kind of grabbed on the Jimmy Smith, and then Smith kind of retaliated. Both of them were kind of wrestling. I wouldn't have called a penalty um, for that play. I think that that's that it was even on both sides, and I don't think that's. I think Smith did his job, got in the way of the receiver running. By, by standing there, and then Crabtree decided to grab on and sort of fake the holding penalty. I thought it was a very poorly coached situation at the goal line. One, Kaepernick in eight throws this year has only thrown into the end zone and completed one out of eight throws. You have Frank Gore in the backfield, who's one of the hungriest and one of the most veteran players on the entire football field. You only give him one shot. You only run one time when you're at the five-yard line, and you pass three other times, and you don't even look for Vernon Davis, your big tight end, down at the goal line. So I they should have set up a play. They should have rolled him. They also, everything was on the strong side. They didn't look to the left at all, the weak side. And I thought that a play action, if you rolled Davis out to the left, you could have had something. But again, I would have ran it twice. And then I thought it was atrocious that they called a timeout on third down and not fourth down. Like, if you're going to call a timeout, why wouldn't you call it on fourth down, the most important play of the season because evidently the game is pretty much over if you don't convert that fourth down and for them to not call a timeout they they should have regrouped and they should have came up with a better play call and for Kaepernick and the rookie you just got to settle down your guys and go to your bread and butter and I think that they were rushing the situation the crowd was on its feet they needed that time of rest on the sidelines to gather themselves and execute better well my recollection is that Kaepernick actually was about to take a delay of game penalty on third down, if I'm if I'm correct. Yes. And Jim Harbaugh, both of the coaches are great. Jim Harbaugh is amazingly fast thinker and makes great decisions. So he was watching his rookie quarterback. When the play got down to one, I mean, there's so many things to think about. He immediately called timeout, and I think that was incredible reaction to his part. Because they would have lost five yards, and five yards is a lot. So I don't think they called a strategic timeout on third down. And there's some controversy. Some people think that the advantage is just just to snap the ball. You know what you're doing. And with a team like just the same way, you might have a chance to regroup. The Ravens are an older defense. It's the end of the game. There's some school of thought where you just call it, snap it, go with the flow. And if you ice your own, in some ways, calling timeout, you're icing your own quarterback at, you know, at the very end of the game. And it's a high pressure situation. So I think whether or not to call timeout, I think is a bit controversial. Also, as it turned out, they got the ball back with some time left. What do you mean, like after the after the uh, after the safety you're talking about? Yeah, the idea is you know that you're trying to preserve timeouts. You're 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 coming from behind. If you don't score a touchdown, you might not want to burn a timeout. So certainly, there's a school of thought. I'm just playing a devil's advocate here. <laughs> um. First of all, when you have one timeout left and you think that getting the ball back with four seconds left is a lot of time, they didn't even run an offensive play. So if you're going to go to timeout route, why wouldn't you go for it on fourth down is what I believe. And also when you're talking about a field goal kicker, that's a, that's a play. A field goal is just like a play. The kicker has practiced that a million times. When you're talking about a fade route, that's 
that's a play, but you can call so many different other options in that situation down at the goal line. I think that you definitely call a timeout. In basketball, it's the same thing. Um, if you're taking the ball out, it, it, it just is more erratic at the end of the game, I think, when you don't call a timeout. And you're already going the timeout route. So for for someone to say that having a kick return at the buzzer, keeping that one timeout is important, I would argue that that's you know, not really that necessary. Um, oh, boy, I was going to actually um, ask you a question. Oh, yeah, so you saw that the Niners are throwing the ball. With a guy like Kaepernick, this um, do you think that it would have made such a big deal if they had the ball on the ten yard line and not the five yard line? I take the delay game. Yeah, I think so. I just think now you you wouldn't want to move away from the goal line. I don't think it's a strategic advantage. Uh, again, these are big guys. Um, the argument that you're going to open up the field, you just don't want to move and. And take that delay of game and move away from the goal line. You just never know. If you're closer, if they're 10 yards away, you re- you basically take the threat of the run out of it completely. So I don't think you can really make a good argument that you want to take a delay of game penalty and move away from the goal line. Yeah. It, it would give the receivers more room to, to, to operate. Um, just, just I, I guess I would have argued the I would have ran the ball on first and second down. And then I would have tried to throw the ball to, I would have tried to throw it to the weak side at least once. One time they, they threw it out in the flat and they didn't even throw it to, to the pylon, the crab tree when he really got jacked up by Jimmy Smith on that play. So I thought that the, the call on the goal line, I mean, definitely those four plays were crucial. The hold, I could see why Harbaugh was upset about it, Jim Harbaugh, because Jimmy Smith did hold, but Crabtree was the one who instigated the contact. Um, and I thought it would have been worse if the refs kind of decided the outcome of the game there. Um, here's I have a question for you. Jim Harbaugh today said he was really upset about the holding penalty. And Frank Gore also had some comments saying we're the better team when we were just a couple plays away. What do you f- feel about Jim Harbaugh's temper towards that holding call? W- would you have reacted the same way that he did? Well, you're asking me. Um, as you know, as as guy who coached your basketball for a long time, I certainly was known as a rather volatile coach. Certainly not the most even-tempered guy. I think I led the uh, Ped Valley League in, in technicals by a coach. Do I, do I, you know, there's so much emotion in that. Jim Harbaugh, after the game, to his credit, he said he wanted to show class and, and he wasn't, you know, his opinion was it was a hold, but he, but he really didn't go off. And I think if you listen to his words carefully, he's really under control. And, um, you know, there, there's an attempt to intimidate at the end. We've seen it with Pete Carroll at that, that one, the game where they stole the game against the Packers, the coach can sometimes influence and sometimes bully referees. So the guy is very intimidating, pretty big guy. Yeah. And imagine if he was able to somehow sway them to throw the penalty. That was his only chance. At that point, the only chance he had would be to somehow intimidate a referee to throw a flag. So, I, you know, it's, it's emotional. It's the whole season in a nutshell. I think it was a great no call and interesting spets. I checked the stats. Over approximately 50 Super Bowls, there was only two times 
in the last two minutes of a game out of 50 Super Bowls that any flags were thrown. I think that shows you <coughs> that these refs did not want to steal the game. They would have essentially given the game to the 49ers, and you've got to earn it. It's very much like uh, in hockey, the third period of Stanley Cup playoffs. They're not going to call a penalty, okay, unless it's a completely egregious penalty. They're going to let the players win, and I thought that was a really good no-call. I was listening to Brian Baldinger here in Philly on radio today, and um, he he does a lot of film breaking down of NFL films, and he he looked at that over and over again. It turns out that the route, the ball was supposed. He was actually uh, the receiver was supposed. Crabtree was supposed to cut inside. That was the play call, but instead the ball was thrown outside. So if you notice, you're absolutely right. Crabtree grabbed the receiver to try to jockey around and catch the ball. And then at the end, there was just a lot of grabbing. So both guys really were holding on that play. They were both jockeying around for position. So I, I think it was a great no call. And also, um, I think it's Mike Piera, who is the uh, the referee, who's the expert retired referee. He also looked at it. I don't think I don't think I heard one credible person today uh, outside of Jim Harbaugh, who, who again admittedly was biased, who thought that that should have been called a penalty. So I'm, I certainly um, think it was a good no call. Yeah, um, I was. I, I guess I didn't really hear Harbaugh's whole um, press conference, but if that's all he was worried about in his post game, I mean, just the game, I believe, comes down to more than just that one play, and. Um, Again, like with that with that situation, I think it was a good no call there in that situation. Uh, the Niners really came on strong, but their first half they were just atrocious. I mean, first play of the game, you have two weeks to prepare. They line up wrong. Then you go down the third and nine for the Ravens on their first drive. They jump off sides, give the Ravens another crack at it after an incompletion, and then Flacco hits Bolden. And then Jacoby Jones took it 28-6. to So you got to give tons of credit to the Niners for bouncing back. And uh, and Kaepernick really sh- showed his stripes. Um, well, it looks like um, our first segment's coming to a close. Looks like we're jumping in the Super Bowl um, forty-seven. Congratulations to the Baltimore Ravens and a great season for the San Francisco Forty ers And we're going to be back with some more Super Bowl talk coming up next. Dr. Bruce Grossinger is a board-certified neurologist and managing partner of Grossinger Neuropain Specialist. Serving the Philadelphia and Wilmington, Delaware areas in the fields of sports medicine, pain management, interventional spinal surgeries, and occupational medicine. Dr. Bruce is the director of the National Sports Concussion Program and works as a senior medical advisor for the National High School Coaches Association. We're involved in the propagation of increased safety measures in all levels of sports participation to render the games safer in terms of brain and spinal Injuries. This involves education of athletes, parents, trainers, coaches, and administrators at the amateur and professional levels. Clinical consultations and treatment can be scheduled directly with Dr. Grossinger at 610-521-6063. Visit Dr. Bruce online at BruceTheSportsDoc.com. Again, for consultations and treatment, call 610-521-6063 or visit BruceTheSportsDoc.com. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports.
You are listening to Bruce the Sports Doc with Dr. Bruce Grossinger. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call in at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to bruce at brucethesportsdoc.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the second segment of Bruce the Sports Doc. I'm your host, Dr. Bruce Grossinger. I have offices in the tri-state area, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Delaware. Anybody within the sound of my voice with a sports injury, concussion, work injury, or other problem, please give us a call, 610-521-6063, or in Delaware, 302-6360-920. And here we are. Our office is right near the University of Delaware. I think we should kick off our second segment by paying tribute to a great postseason by Joe Flacco, zero interceptions, ten touchdowns. Very month. We have a correction here. Eleven, eleven touchdowns. But oh, excuse me. You're so good. Eleven touchdowns. Okay. <laughs> so very Mont- Joe Montana esque. Interesting said about Montana. In all of his postseason play, he threw exactly zero interceptions. So when you look at Flacco, uh, I, I think we want to talk about him, a University of Delaware graduate. A cannon arm. He just, so, he looked so calm in the pocket. I mean, one thing good about watching in high def with that, with all those cameras, you really could actually, you could see right, you know, the, the view is amazing. And he was just calmly sitting in the pocket. He didn't have any happy feet and he just made great decisions. And even, uh, he, he did have sacks. I think there might have been two or three sacks. He, um, he was fearless and made some great pinpoint throws in the game. So, Joe Flacco was a very deserving MVP. Again, Jacoby Jones, any other Super Bowl, with that amazing touchdown work, he basically, I don't know how the guy didn't touch him down. He dove for the ball. The guy flew over and didn't touch him. Then he made that exciting run to the, to, to the left side. That was a really exciting play. I mean, the whole game was filled with excitement. And then that, that 108-yard uh, kickoff return, would just burst through. Yeah. It just hit you before you even had a chance to uh, to settle into your chicken wings. They, they had already scored, and it seemed like it was lights out. Yeah, um, with Joe Flacco, I'm just I'm, I'm very uh, I'm happy for Joe Flacco. He's finally gonna he's gonna get the the um, he's gonna get the respect that he deserves. He's been in the postseason a lot. He suffered losses, um, bad losses to the to the Steelers, New England last year. And one thing about Joe Flacco is he's never had that killer instinct. He's never really had that knockout punch in him. And for the first time two weeks ago versus New England, the Ravens were up by eight points, and they had the ball in the red zone. Now, typical Joe Flacco of old in their offense would have ran the ball and been conservative and just settled for a field goal. The Ravens relied, used to rely on their defense and played Mark Sanchez Jets type football, only throwing on third downs. They would run the ball twice and then on third down, they would be forced to put Joe in tough situations. Jim Caldwell, you gotta give him so much credit. He completely changed the dynamic. He completely changed how the Baltimore Ravens operated on offense. He really gave Joe Flacco the keys to the kingdom. And you look at Flacco, he's six foot five. He, he has the strongest arm in the NFL in quite a long time. The guy could throw it 70 yards on a rope. He's just as talented as any other quarterback out there in terms of just making 
making throws. I mean, if you have a trick shot competition, Flacco's going to win that every time. He's just gifted in that regard. And, you know, finally, all his hard work paid off. Um, and I think you got to, again, credit his personality, again, is he's not as it looks out there. He's he's a lot more cool. um He's a lot more calm demeanored, and at times in the past, I would get on him for not showing a lot of emotion. Like Tom Brady, if he fails a third down, he's going to jump on his teammates. The thing I wanted to see from Flacco was urgency to put seven on the board and not just stick with mediocrity, not just rely on your defense, but do it do it yourself. And with this aging defense, he finally had that opportunity, and he's always had the skill, but now he has that personality that he's going to actually make it happen and he's the main guy in Baltimore he's not going to rely on that defense he's not going to hand the ball off he has to be the leader of that offense and they got that across to him and he played a great playoffs and you got to give it up for him and it's crazy you know what Bruce when you win a Super Bowl all the other years of coming in fourth place they seem so much better Here's a question. If Donovan McNabb got a Super Bowl, do you think the Eagles fans would be a lot more supportive of all those years in the NFC Championship? Think about it. Well, um, we're going from two tremendous teams to going back to the Eagles very briefly. And I believe that anybody, any quarterback and coach who would win the Super Bowl in Philadelphia would be a first. They would be enshrined. It would be much like Fred Shiro, who won two Stanley Cups back in the seventies. You know, there's never he would never pay for another meal in the city. And McNabb, you know, again, just for a moment, had some great numbers. <clears throat> he he won a tremendous amount of games. He was an athletic quarterback, and Andy Reid and him you know, did very well. He never got over the top. You could you could point out other quarterbacks. You could point out uh, Dan Marino. You could look at Marv Levy who coached four consecutive Super Bowl losses for the Buffalo Bills. And it's 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 darn hard to get over the top and win. There's only one winner. And uh, as far as McNabb, I think he had a good career. I think as we move away from it, the Philadelphia fans will appreciate him more and more. Yeah, that's a, that's a good answer. The Ravens, uh, I felt in this game... They had a lot more experience. Ray Lewis and this team for the past five years has always been deep in the tournament. They haven't gotten to the Super Bowl, but they've been right on the doorstep. Three AFC championships in the last five years it says a lot about their team. And Harb- Jim Harbaugh and the Niners recently came onto the scene last year. They had a big season, competed with the Giants to- for the right to go to Indiana for the Super Bowl last year. I just felt that this 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 Ravens team was more experienced. You had guys like Ed Reed, who is close to retiring, and he was in his hometown of New Orleans with his kids. And then you had Ray Lewis, who th- this is his last postseason ride, and he wanted nothing more than to finally get over the top. You had Joe Flacco, who's very similar to Eli Manning. Fans just love to criticize Joe Flacco. And because of that um, personality that he had of just be kind of being a quiet guy, and again, like not getting too dramatic over sending out the punting unit, it was easy to get on him a little bit. And for him to put the critics to rest, I just felt again that the, you have to look at the Ravens and their journey to getting to the Super Bowl. And I do believe a little bit in destiny, and just this Raven storyline of them winning is is. 
is definitely a lot more appealing than a guy, well, just in Colin Kaepernick, who just came out of Nevada, who in his 10th start was playing in a Super Bowl. He definitely could have won, just like Tom Brady won when he was young. But for, for Baltimore, for Ray, Ed Reed, Ray Rice, Torrey Smith, Anquan Bolden, these are all veterans. And, of course, there's some veterans on San Francisco, but I just think Baltimore has just been for the ringer a lot more times, and that definitely played an impact. You know. Well, Ray Lewis, obviously, is a big focus of the two-week um, lead-up to the Super Bowl. You know, the reporters have to fill. There's there's a lot of columns, a lot of air time to fill. And they brought back, you know, they brought back the ghosts of the uh, of that murder outside the nightclub at 4 a.m. in Atlanta 13 years ago. Again, I, 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 I went back and I read a lot of articles about it. I wanted to f- re-familiarize myself with it. From all that I could tell, I don't think anybody thinks that Ray Lewis killed anybody. At most, he was in an entourage of people, and it was... Um, Somebody in his in his limousine got hit over the head with a champagne bottle, and then apparently, two guys who were in that fight got killed. You know, with by knifing. So, you know, it's a terrible situation, and I think the mentality at that time was I didn't think Ray was going to give up his friends. He wasn't. He 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 was accused of obstructing justice and not sharing the information. And from all I know, and and I've looked into it. He did change his friends. He shed his posse. He beca- he really did find religion. He's very close to his mother. And for people, you know, we, we interview a lot of people around Baltimore. I think he's not a hypocrite. I think he really believes in, in, in what he says. And it's a shame that he had to t- field all those questions. And, and uh, I I've, today, again, listening to Brian Baldinger, who's one of my favorite analysts, he was talking about how he was there year one when, when Ray Lewis was a rookie. And in that locker room, Ray was the leader of that, that whole defense. So from day one, Ray Lewis is the leader. Right now, Ray's an aging guy. If anything, he was a liability in the game. He's le- he didn't have any legs, and it's time for him to retire. And he was playing on one arm. He had a torn triceps, which I think we covered, we might have covered earlier as a, as a very bad injury and often a career ending injury, much like Charles Barkley, who ended up with a patellar tendon rupture. This triceps rupture is a terrible injury. And you look at the brace Ray was wearing his left arm, it, was, it almost looked like uh, it had its own area code. So personally, you know, I guess maybe it's just me getting older. I tend to root for guys when they get older, when they're about to retire. I feel that, that Ray's a likable guy, and, uh, you know, I, I, was, I was rooting for him, but I was happy to see him win. Yeah. Absolutely. I definitely look for guys with experience and who have dealt with adversity like Joe Flacco. Um even guys like Tony Romo, to see them kind of get over the top, it's just, it's just unbelievable to see. And I like Colin Kaepernick because he's so young, he's so gifted, he's so talented and athletic. But the thing about Colin Kaepernick is he hasn't really suffered through that adversity that Joe Flacco has. And that just says a lot about how, again, like talented he is. But again, like for Joe Flacco, um, for a guy like him to win a Super Bowl is just really, it, for him and all his critics, it, it was really important for him to do that. Um, yeah, we still have a couple more minutes left. Um, a great Super Bowl. In the next segment here, I'm going to lead you into the next one. I really want to get into Beyonce and the halftime performance and, uh, and see where that's stacked up maybe with the, um, 
Super Bowl halftime performances of uh, of recent memory, and then maybe possibly throw in some commercials, and and then again talk about the social atmosphere of the big game. Well, yep, I don't I don't think we're gonna, for all you listeners, please don't tune out. Unfortunately, this is a radio show, so you're not going to be able to get a replay of the Beyonce performance, and we'll touch upon that briefly. But again, this is Super Bowl Roundup. We're breaking it down, analyzing it the day after. We'll be back in three minutes. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Dr. Bruce Grossinger is a board-certified neurologist and managing partner of Grossinger Neuropain Specialist. Serving the Philadelphia and Wilmington, Delaware areas in the fields of sports medicine, pain management, interventional spinal surgeries, and occupational medicine, Dr. Bruce is the director of the National Sports Concussion Program and works as a senior medical advisor for the National High School Coaches Association. We're involved in the propagation of increased safety measures in all levels of sports participation to render the games safer in terms of brain and spinal injury. This involves education of athletes, parents, trainers, coaches, and administrators at the amateur and professional levels. Clinical consultations and treatment can be scheduled directly with Dr. Grossinger at 610-521-6063. Visit Dr. Bruce online at brucethesportsdoc.com. Again, for consultations and treatment, call 610-521-6063 or visit brucethesportsdoc.com. It's all Arizona, all over the world. If you're a local Arizona high school sports fan or if you're a transplanted fan somewhere else in the world, have we got a show for you. The first Internet sports radio talk show focusing solely on high school sports is The Coach's Corner with Scott Lovely. Tune in to talk about your favorite teams, players, or coaches. It's 100% Arizona high school sports coverage and a little bit more. Tune in Mondays at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. 7 p.m. Eastern to the Voice America Sports Channel. You are listening to Bruce the Sports Doc with Dr. Bruce Grossinger. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call in at 1 888 346 9144. That's 1 888 346 9144. Or send an email to bruce at brucethesportsdoc.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the next segment of Bruce the Sports Talk. I'm your host, Dr. Bruce Grossinger, with my co-host, Spencer the Wizard. And we're here. The smoke is settling from the New Orleans Superdome. And the Baltimore Ravens hung on by the skin of their teeth to beat the San Francisco 49ers in a really thrilling game. We're going to begin the next segment with a little touch on the intangibles with respect to the halftime show. Um, Obviously... um, Beyonce, I thought, put on a great show, whether you're a real man or a lady. I think the show was entertaining. Absolutely. Um, I thought that she, uh, she did a very good job on stage of involving the crowd. And 
I thought she really was passionate about her performance. The, the the lights and technology around her was was really well done, and I thought she definitely prepared for it and did a solid job at halftime. Um, the blackout, I, I don't know if it's from all the technology being used or not. We're going to review that in the following days. But, um, again, I think let's talk a little bit about the Harbaugh brothers. We, we should probably touch on that right now. And um, for Jim, it's a tough situation. But for John, I think he's definitely going to handle it with class. It's a tough situation for whoever loses. And I, it's tough for Jim right now. Well, um I'd like to talk about them. I think it's a great, great idea to launch in that direction. When you look at Jim Harbaugh, he took over a San Francisco 49er team that was just really on the, the downside. They had Mike Singletary, who was a Hall of Fame middle linebacker for the Bears, who really um, really wasn't a good coach, in my view, not a good head coach. The team um, really performed poorly. They made a lot of mistakes. And and it shows you how with free agency and great coaching, Jim Harbaugh came in, a fiery coach. He 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 really took a chance on Colin Kaepernick, and basically benching Alex Smith after a concussion earlier in the season, they could have really blown up in his face. But as a former quarterback, you know Kaepernick turned out to be great. You know it, it almost it almost barely won the Super Bowl, and so I think you have to give credit to Jim Harbaugh. Different personality, a very fiery coach. Although if you listen to him, some of his post-game conferences are humorous. You know, he's a little sarcastic. but He's an entertaining guy, but I have a lot of respect for him. Certainly, I think anybody would want to have Jim Harbaugh as a coach. So as far as Jim Harbaugh, let's, let's, what are your thoughts on him? I think he's the best coach in the league right now, um, taking his team to the – in his first year going into the NFC Championship and then the, and then the big game and coming so close to winning a Super Bowl is just pretty, is, is unbelievable. And this guy is just so hungry to be number one. He doesn't put up with, with, uh, coming in second place or missing the play or making the playoffs. He just has that never satisfied attitude and just, he's always thirsty for victory. And even Tom Crean, I was listening to him. Now he's the Indiana basketball coach. His wife is the sister of the Harbaugh brothers. And Crean said even during a basketball game, a family outing in the summer, he was guarding Jim Harbaugh, and Harbaugh was going at it 100%, even in this fun pickup game atmosphere. So the guy doesn't like to lose at literally anything. And he's a guy that if you that if you're on the opposite sideline, you don't want to face him because he'll yap, he'll get in the ref's face. He's an aggressive personality, absolutely. But if he's on your team, he's such a cool cat to have. And you're so confident that he's not going to put any mediocre people and players on the field. He just has that hunger to be great, and uh, that really makes him special as a coach. Um, I loved his consistency. He brought up his whole strength and training core from Stanford and all of the defensive and offensive coordinators, um, although he's he's mostly the offensive coordinator, but um, he brought them all from Stanford, so he's very loyal, and he looks for personalities and gets the best out of his players for sure. Um what do you have to say about John Harbaugh? And also, maybe, do you want to elaborate what, uh, what the Harbaugh, um, what the mother, what Jack Harbaugh and his wife are feeling right now for their two kids going in the Super Bowl? 
Um, I know we talked about with Frey Ellis on the last show. It's an entertaining conversation. Um, what do you think the day will feel? Well, I'll take question one first. Um, jo- John Harbaugh um, had his roots in Philadelphia. He was a special team coach in our city, certainly one of the best ever. And to Andy Reid's credit, Andy Reid had a tremendous uh, role in promoting his coordinators. And I think he recognized that Harbaugh would be a head coach someday. So he basically, at one point, promoted him from the special teams to allowing him to be a coordinator on the defensive side of the ball. And I think that that enabled Baltimore, with their owner, basically wanted a, a fiery young coach six years ago to hire John Harbaugh. He's been incredibly steady, um, really bright guy, innovative, and he was responsible, I think, as along with Jim Caldwell, for converting the perennial defensive juggernaut into a really exciting offensive team, certainly with uh, Torrey Smith, Anquan Bolden, and Ray Rice You know, had a um, tremendous year. So very offensive team. Flacco, they, they, they play to their strengths. So with, with John Harbaugh, who's, who's kind of the more mild-mannered brother, except, of course, during the power outage, if, I know we were watching it, he was, um, he was flipping out. You know, he, was, he was going crazy. You never saw John Harbaugh show so much emotion. And I felt bad for the um, – there was an NFL um, representative, and he was just chewing, chewing him out. And you, you didn't have to be very much of a lip reader to read a lot of the words were, were F-bombs. And it's almost as if John saw the premonition that his team was going to was going to go in the tank after the um, the long power outage delay, yeah. and sure, indeed, they did. And um, and that break really, you know, worked to the advantage. Just like a break, and it was like a whole new game. It was unbelievable. If you look at the difference between the Jacoby Jones touchdown, and then immediately the blackout, and then all of a sudden it was all Forty ers until the end. So. It was, it made for an exciting Super Bowl. And, uh, at 20, when it was 28-6, it looked like it was going to be a yawner. But, but watching the game with, with people, I think, um, everybody I know really enjoyed watching it. Yeah, a lot of people that were around us were just rooting for a close, um, close game from neutral, um, fans view. Um, with the people that we were watching around and just crazy. Kaepernick was hitting Crabtree, Vernon Davis. The guy came out of there and he just like went into beast mode immediately. And they scored on like seven plays and like you snap your fingers and look at it. It's like an eight point ball game. Then you have the fumble. The San Francisco defense too was firing on all cylinders as well. They were coming out playing really aggressive. Uh, the Smith, um, the Smiths on the defense. Defensive side, a defensive line were coming in and sacking Flacco, and just that whole the 49ers just came alive and just everyone on their sideline and their fan base was just everyone was just fist pumping and just it, it was just a crazy fourth quarter and and Kaepernick and that offense had the ability especially Vernon Davis and Crabtree especially just played like monsters in that game um the key I think again was Flacco keeping his cool and having a couple long drives and getting those field goals. Because if they would have gone three and out and given the Niners more opportunities, it could have been a lot of trouble because the Niners are just on fire um, in that second half. And Flacco kind of needed to stall a little bit of time, definitely. 
um, and and continue to keep the ball on offense. I thought Ray Rice did a nice job, um, and and Flacco was able to under pressure orchestrate some long drives, and you needed that time to get the ball away from Kaepernick in the second half. So, uh, what a great game! Um, yeah, like to touch a little bit on the um, the power outage. Certainly, it's unthinkable, but could you imagine if the power would not have been on, if they were unable to restore the power in that gate? Imagine how many people you know would have to stay overnight. I don't know when they would replay the rest of the game. It, you, the sponsors would be up in arms. It could literally cost, you know, it could cost hundreds of millions of dollars. So... The idea of a power outage is, is really unthinkable, especially given the magnitude of the game. From what I heard as we go to press, the the, the, uh, the rumors are that the, uh, the the supplier, the electrical supplier, who's basically feeding the electricity at the Superdome, was responsible for the outage. So it was nothing, from what I understand, within the stadium itself. It wasn't like there's a failure within the stadium, but it was really the power company who is feeding the electricity from outside of the stadium it was their job to do that and there was something you know apparently there was some kind of circuit breaker that went off and half of the the stadium electricity went out <coughs> I, I was listening to it on radio because i was traveling you know from one place to another and it was really eerie that um i was listening to kevin harlan and boomer Esiason, and there there was some fear in kevin harlan's voice because you know, there's there's always, you know, the rumor of terrorism and things like that. And Kevin Harlan was actually a little bit scared. And the only way that they could communicate with the listeners was on cell phones. So they were basically, they had no power in the booth. They both had their cell phones on and somehow they were able to transmit on the radio station. So really a bizarre and unique uh, situation with, with the power outage. But, um, you know, if they did not restore the power it would have been horrific it would have been financially crippling it would have been an embarrassment not only for the nfl but for the country for the united states this is something that's watched around the world it's the it's the premium show of the year and um if we had to cancel it due to a technical problem that that would have been embarrassing for our country yeah um like suspending the game for to the next day is just uh it's hard to even think about. I mean, you'd have to like continue with the down and everything, and for for Phil Sims and Nance to just like come back on the air and say we're back, you know, and third and twelve at the forty yard line, you know, welcome back everyone, and just you just wonder like that whole day without playing that football, like all the analysis, all the fans going back to their hotels, the game I guess would be played the next day. You wonder even if people were using the Superdome after the game. So all of that comes into mind, and definitely it makes the Super Bowl unique in a ton of ways. And, um, you know, a lot of Ravens fans would argue that the power outage could have been the demise of their Super Bowl if they wouldn't have won because they would have been just sitting on the sidelines and they were so... um, into the they were so into the game at that point. Jacoby Jones, so much adrenaline rushing. They just wanted to continue pounding away and for them to realize, oh, we're so close to achieving our goal. That psyche and just having that much time to think and not play 
and get cold feet kind of. You just had a, a halftime show that lasts a half an hour as well. So, Well, we just, uh, we're coming to the end of a segment here, and I want to uh, tell all the fans to stay tuned for segment four. I'm going to be giving you an update on concussion. There's an exciting new test that may be able to, to uh, delineate chronic traumatic encephalopathy in life rather than waiting for a post-mortem. So you're going to get solid sports medicine in the fourth segment. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in three. What's going on behind the scenes with your favorite Voice America show or host? For the latest news, visit the iRadio blog at iradioblog.com. Dr. Bruce Grossinger is a board-certified neurologist and managing partner of Grossinger Neuropain Specialist. Serving the Philadelphia and Wilmington, Delaware areas in the fields of sports medicine, pain management, interventional spinal surgeries, and occupational medicine, Dr. Bruce is the director of the National Sports Concussion Program and works as a senior medical advisor for the National High School Coaches Association. We're involved in the propagation of increased safety measures in all levels of sports participation to render the games safer in terms of brain and spinal injury. Injuries. This involves education of athletes, parents, trainers, coaches, and administrators at the amateur and professional levels. Clinical consultations and treatment can be scheduled directly with Dr. Grossinger at 610-521-6063. Visit Dr. Bruce online at brucethesportsdoc.com. Again, for consultations and treatment, call 610-521-6063 or visit brucethesportsdoc.com. Your internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. You are listening to Bruce the Sports Doc with Dr. Bruce Grossinger. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call in at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to Bruce at BruceTheSportsDoc.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the next segment of Bruce the Sports Doc. I'm your host, Dr. Bruce Grossiger, and we want to highlight in this segment a current update on concussion with some historical perspective. We just finished a tribute to Dave Dorsett last week, and we want to thank Ray Ellis, the director of Voice America Sports, for giving me the privilege of discussing Dave Dorsett, a man who had a great NFL career, who was a wonderful businessman, very inspirational, and a friend to many of those here in the Voice America family, particularly Ray Ellis, who gave both of us the opportunity to transmit. And this was Double D with Dave Dorson. And and Ray went over the last day where he was on the air and he learned that Dave Dorson essentially committed suicide but left a note that he wanted his brain to be studied for science. And what a brave thing so that other people, other players, would benefit from the scientific study of his brain. And this entity, CTA, that's chronic traumatic encephalopathy, 
remains a situation which is certainly haunting ex-NFL players. And so many famous players have died. Most recently, Junior Seau. Of course, Dave Dorson. Mike Webster, Hall of Fame center for the Pittsburgh Steelers. And here in Philadelphia, Andre Waters, one of the fiercest, fiercest hitters, certainly played with legendary Eagles teams with Wes Hopkins and our own strong safety, number 24, Ray Ellis. There was news this week out of the UCLA Medical Center and that a group studying a new imaging study, a patented imaging study, looked at five living NFL players. And they found that in five of these players, they had the appearance of CTE, that is, chronic traumatic encephalopathy. They had the deposition of proteins in the brain that was characteristic of the same problem that was found in players such as Junior Seau, Chris Henry, Dave Dewerson, and Mike Webster. They all had this entity called chronic traumatic encephalopathy. And we believe as neurologists that the cumulative hits and concussions gave rise to this progressive situation. And in the past, before the study, we only had the ability to study brains after death and therefore no opportunity to treat, to, to do any experimental trials of treatment. So this is a small study. It's preliminary. But if this, if this data holds up, there'll be a lot more people who are being studied with this type of PET scan. And if we can identify those who are at risk for CTE and who have the, the appearance on this special scan of CTE, we could try to, number one, support them psychologically and via medicines, as well as to hopefully uh, try new experiments scientifically with respect to medicines and other interventions to try to intervene and reverse this terrible disease, which is called CTE, chronic traumatic encephalopathy. Last week on Ray Ellis' show, we had a representative from USA Football. And this is an organization that interfaces with all levels of football, starting in Pee Wee all the way up to having affiliations with all the NFL teams. And we certainly applaud the combined efforts of the CDC, Centers of Disease Control, as well as USA Football, for developing parameters and guidelines, for educating coaches and players about recognizing the effect of concussion. And the one, one of our mottos is, if you think about a concussion, if you suspect it, Take the player out of the game. Better safe than sorry. And there's also discussion about uh, tackling clinics, instructional videos. So all you have to do is go on the USA football website and look, and you'll, you, you could read about appropriate protocols sideline for uh, sideline concussions. And that also brings me to a second point 
that the NFL announced that they're going to require uh, neurologists, people like myself, who, who specialize in the brain, to be present during the football games on the sidelines so that we can have sideline exams. And I also applaud their efforts such that these are going to be independent neurologists who are not financially tied into any specific team. And therefore, we're looking for the most objective way to identify players during the game who have concussions and who therefore will be removed from the field of play and will be subject to a very specific protocol for return to play. And um, so again, USA Football, CDC, the NFL making strides. Roger Goodell certainly has a lot of naysayers within the Players Association. But there's no question that the NFL is putting money into research. They're acknowledging the issue of concussions. There are rule changes and, and more to come in the future. I want to touch upon the symptoms for you coaches and players out there that you want to recognize about concussion. Contrary to old dogma, you do not need to fully lose consciousness in order to suffer concussion. It's possible to injure parts of your brain while still preserving consciousness. The typical signs of concussion are headaches, blurred vision, dizziness, difficulty thinking. The number one predictor for concussion is actually fogginess. So if somebody's hit and they come off and they're just foggy, that is a sign of concussion. There's a test called the impact test, which was developed by the doctors at the University of Pittsburgh and Dr. Mickey Collins and Associates. And this is a very important test, which is used as a baseline for sports. All the way from high school, college to pro football, the players are subject to a baseline 20-minute computer test. And after their concussion, they are studied by impact testing. And the impact testing is a self-directed computerized test that really measures four specific parameters. One is verbal memory, visual memory, motor speed, and reaction time. And just to enhance the objectivity, when you're a doctor such as myself, a neurologist in the Philadelphia area, we send our data to the, unit, to the impact company outside of Pittsburgh. They independently score it and send us back the data. And that's really helpful because that makes it more objective. So a treating doctor is basically sending this out to a, a neutral, objective party for scoring the impact test. So why is the impact test helpful? Number one, it shows us a comparison between before and after the concussion. And also, we can also replace certain chemicals. We use a drug called amantadine, which is a precursor of dopamine. And then we retest, we retest patients, and they often will show improvement in their motor exam, motor speed and reaction time. With respect to cognitive problems, we use certain neurostimulants, such as Adderall, Ritalin, as well as Stratera. We use them typically on a short-term basis while the, while the patient is recovering from a concussion. And these drugs sharpen alertness, 
increase attention span. And while themselves are not curative, they are certainly palliative, which means they help the situation. We also treat patients' headaches using various analgesics. The sleep cycles are often disrupted in patients who have concussions. So these people have trouble falling asleep. They'll have insomnia. But during the day, they'll often have what we call EDS, excessive daytime somnolence. So what we want to do, we want to re-regulate their sleep cycles. Eventually, we want to get them back into cardio training. We want to have them watch nutrition. And during the acute period of concussion, we want to limit their access to certain stimuli, such as electronic media, texting, computers, and we want them to rest as much as possible. Well, the time is sure going by quickly today. I want to thank Ray Ellis. I want to thank Jeff Spinard, the president of Voice America, for continuing to give us this opportunity to provide information, promote awareness of concussions, and also, certainly, in the, in the uh, week following the Super Bowl, to be able to break down the game with my co-host, Spencer the Wizard. Tune in next week for the newest edition of Bruce the Sports Doc. Thanks for joining the discussion this week on Bruce the Sports Doc. Tune in next Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time for another edition with Dr. Bruce Grossinger on the Voice America Sports Channel. We'll see you then.